Greetings. I'm Raman Chada, founder of the Junto Institute. Welcome to Flourishing Together, where we have inspiring conversations with people who are becoming infinitely better at who they are and what they do. On this episode of Flourishing Together, we have Dan Klein, who is a co-founder of Tiesta T and one of our alumni, and Josh Chapman, COO of Landscape Hub, and who's been a Junto mentor for the last several years. We're going to start with Dan Klein, who, along with his business partner, Patrick Tanuz, was in the very first class uh, that the Junto Institute ran in 2013. Dan is co-founder and CEO of Tiesta T, a company that he and Patrick had the spark uh, of an idea for while they were visiting Prague uh, in the Czech Republic while traveling throughout Europe. And at the time they asked, why um, aren't there teas like this available in the United States? So they set off with a mission to create functional loose leaf tea blends that are affordable, accessible, and understandable. And that was uh, almost a decade ago. And today they are in over 8,000 stores across America. Um, and I believe a few stores overseas, although I, I can't confirm that. Um, and they're also uh, online at tiestatea.com. Dan's business partner, Patrick Tanuz, was on one of the very first episodes of Flourishing Together, so you could hear his thoughts um, on that episode. And the two of them together are amongst our, uh, not only our youngest alumni even today, but also amongst the youngest who've ever been through our program. And I've always appreciated them for uh, the embrace um, that they've demonstrated of emotional intelligence uh, as young men, um, which very candidly we just don't see as, as frequently. And I got to know Dan also um, extremely well because I was a participating member in the CEO forum with him uh, for several years. Dan was named um, one of Inc. Magazine's 30 Under 30 in uh, 2018, and uh, he has also stood out in my mind as someone who's an incredible listener. So uh, let's listen to our conversation. I am really happy to have uh, one of our very first graduates of the Junto Institute, uh, Dan Klein of Tiesta T, one of the co-founders and uh, CEO, and business partners with Patrick Tanus, who was uh, on one of our um, earlier episodes. So welcome, Dan, to Flourishing Together. Thank you. Thanks, Raman, for having me today. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start things off, as you're familiar with, Dan, with uh, seeing how you're feeling. All right. Well, looking at the the wheel, you know, today I'm feeling really it's been a mixture of anxious and passionate. It's a good time for us business-wise, and uh, my son is just turned 10 months old and, you know, just really kind of a an exciting time in, in my life, just both for business and for personal. And, and with that, of course, comes challenges and, and anxiety around, you know, what, what comes around the corner, but really, you know, passionate about what I'm doing as, as a, a dad and also as a business leader. Cool. Well, that's inspiring. Um, as you know, I care a lot about 
my role as a father. So I love hearing that uh, from from those of you guys who are starting to experience it for the first time. I am feeling like a lot in the yellowish joy section. Um, a lot of excitement, um, optimism, enthusiasm, hope, eagerness. And that is all driven by uh, some new things we're releasing next week that even you don't know about. But I'm, I'm really, really excited because it's uh, it's kind of a, a new stage, if you will, for Hundo. That's great. Yeah, that's so going to be fun. All right. Um, so we're here for you about to hear more from you and about you. Um, let's start by getting the first recollection you have of leadership and um, what it was, who was there, you know, what you took from it, what you learned from it, how it's influenced you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, really for me, you know, leadership has, has kind of, uh, you know, evolved as the business has grown. But, you know, one of the best memories I have was when um, we were working at, at our house in uh, 1147 West Addison, which is right by Wrigley Field. And we had kind of an office in the basement uh, of the house because it was a pretty big space that we were running, you know, for just three guys. And so we had a couple of desks down there. And then that summer we decided to hire interns from uh, University of Illinois and some of the other schools around us. And and that first day where we had all the interns and everyone's kind of scattered on the couches and, you know, we're talking about, you know, hand-me-down couches. And, and I think Patrick may have had a cat or two at that point, um, you know, maybe crawling around. And and I, you know, I don't exactly remember what I said or how it was said, but it was the first time that we really had to bring people together that we didn't know because up to that point, it was just a few of us and we all knew each other from, from back home or somewhere else. So it was really a, a, a big moment for me and for us as a business. Nice. It's funny. I mean, you painted this picture and I could almost see that, that this basement with a couple of couches and yeah, I mean, yeah, you mentioned interns, but you guys were probably all close in age as well. Oh right, yeah. To them. Oh yeah. Nice. So you were not only um, a, a guinea pig of sorts for us by going through Junto for the um, our first year, but you were you were also very open minded at the time about this idea of studying emotional intelligence and practicing it at a fairly young age. You, you guys were only a couple of years out of college, right? And as I've gotten to know you over the years, and uh, for the benefit of our listeners, um, you and I were in the same forum for about four or five years. So we really got to know one another because in those forum sessions, we have conversations that many times we don't have with anyone else. And one of the things that I started to learn about you was that you, you also just had some natural gifts when it came to emotional intelligence. And I imagine that a lot of that was kind of in, driven by your parents and, and how you were raised which, you know, from my view, you're very fortunate to, to have. But now it's been a good six, seven years since that, all, that journey started. And, and as the years have gone by, you've obviously gotten wiser, um, taken on more responsibility. Talk a little bit about how just being a practitioner and supporter of emotional intelligence has shaped the interactions that you now have um, with people in your life and in the world around you. For me, it's really been... It's been something that I've tried to incorporate both in my personal life and business life. When it comes to business life, for me, 
emotional intelligence is kind of a, a structure that it's kind of like the bones of the body. It's it's structural and it has it has components that you can use all day, every day. You know, things like empathy where, you know, maybe in the past, you know, I, I, I was quick to judge or quick not to understand how somebody was feeling or why they were feeling that way. And it really makes you think about your your team differently and the people that, that work for you and the people that work for for our organization. And these are people that want to be heard. They, they want to be honest and they want to be uh, trustworthy and they want to contribute. And sometimes all you really need to do is allow that to manifest. And so with different people, you interact in different ways. But, you know, I've really found that just to kind of always remind yourself of some of the core tenets of emotional intelligence, especially when you're leaning on maybe a hard conversation you have to have um, with somebody. Um, it really gives you kind of sound basing in, in how you're thinking and acting. So Dan, you mentioned uh, how it can be helpful with hard conversations. Uh, can you share an example of how you've been able to use you know, the tools, skills, and lessons you've learned about EI in one of those types of conversations. You know, one one thing, some of the stuff that's a little less glamorous in business, um, I really think emotional intelligence can work very well. Throughout the years, you know, we've had times where we've been lower on cash than others and and really have to to dig in and and have tough conversations with your vendors about about, you know, where things are heading and also you know how can we, um, you know, keep you guys whole and 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 make sure that you know our business and your business continues to run smoothly and and you know had one of those conversations recently and you know I kept thinking to myself I feel a certain way about the situation you know sorry um, disappointed and in, in us um, you know maybe a little not angry but just peeved that that it came to something like that and, and we couldn't deal with that issue sooner. But really what is important is understanding what they're thinking and how they're thinking about things. And a lot of times if you, if you don't have that conversation, you know, where you can really let somebody say, Hey, this is what, this is how I feel. And this is how our business operates with, with payment. I really need to make sure that, you know, we get at least this in by, you know, in two weeks and then maybe you know, another chunk in four weeks. And that really, that conversation can go so much differently if you're not communicating, if you're not listening to that other person, um, you know, they could say, screw you, you know, we need our money and we need it right now. And so emotional intelligence, you know, although, you know, sometimes people wonder, you know, what, what can you attribute to it? I mean, in a situation like that, that that saved us money, uh, quite a bit of it, and kept our business going maybe at a time where we really, really needed support, and then understanding where they sat and how to work with them you know, to get to a better solution. Back when Tiesto was in our apprenticeship program, you had a mentor meeting, and the mentors remarked on the fact that you guys were a bunch of dudes. And I remember them actually using this phrase, you guys have a bro-y culture. 
And soon after, um, if I remember correctly, you hired Ashley, um, the first woman at Tiesta and who's still there and is just a delight to be around and, um, uh, to interact with. Um, but then even after Ashley, uh, you guys have done just a really, um, admirable job at bringing in a number of women and building your team accordingly. And I've seen what they've been able to do in terms of complimenting you guys. Um, you've also been very supportive of them being involved in, in Junta Women. But I'd love to hear from your perspective, especially because there was that moment when not only were you told, but you guys even acknowledged it. You even said, yeah, we do. Looking back now, these five, six years, how would you characterize the contribution that they've had to the founders, to this, what was a bro culture, and more, more importantly, to the company's progress and success these last several years? I mean, for us, women have been just essential to our uh, success. And, you know, even on the, on the surface level, level um, having a bro culture doesn't necessarily always lean perfectly towards tea, um, which some people think of as traditionally a female beverage, especially when you're talking about hot tea. And so bringing in these perspectives allows you to find a flavor like a lavender chamomile that is maybe a little bit more female leaning. But then, you know, throughout the organization's kind of life and, you know, from when we first hired Ashley in 2013, we had a small office. She, she was the only female, but we made a really concerted effort to kind of go the extra mile to make her comfortable. You know, and I remember those those first couple of weeks and and I, I'm sure it was a little awkward for her and a little awkward for us. And but as we continued to grow and 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 hire women we saw that they were bringing some of them were bringing skill sets that definitely none of the males had on staff and it could have been anything could have been something from you know very high level to you know something you know more in the weeds to something uh you know more attributing with the culture and i think really the biggest impact for us has been with the culture because you know we we're fortunate that we have some great women in our organization who care about the organization and the people in it um, and really make them feel welcome. You know, one of the things that I was most excited for is when we brought Ashley on, she, she being responsible for marketing, she was doing all of our event planning and she has just brought this, this loving, warming touch that I can't bring. Patrick can bring it to a certain extent, but you know the the bros could can't bring that, and some of the charity work that we've done, uh, we actually brought uh, brought Ashley to Nigeria where we build water wells for our uh, farming communities out there, and that was an incredible experience where we really got to see how some of these women in Nigeria had never maybe even seen a white female, you know, kind of in front of them you know, a very traditional closed down culture. Here's somebody coming here for business. Here's a female coming from the United States. And I think that moment for me was just, I was so proud of her, of course, but just kind of proud of our world for starting to realize that that, that that is important and that, that that needs to that idea needs to translate that women can be anything that men can without question. 
you know, let's change that in the United States. Let's change it, you know, across the globe. And you're starting to see it now. And it really is just a great thing for business. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I think you're going to see companies become more and more diverse because that's, in my mind, the best way to build a team. I was particularly struck by when you said that those first couple of weeks, you guys made a concerted effort to make her feel comfortable. Because I think that's what, and from my experience, what we as men sometimes don't do is make this concerted effort to be, to, and not just to be inclusive, but to feel, make, to help people feel comfortable when they're different from us. So that's, that's really cool that that happened. And again, knowing how young you were at that time, even more remarkable. And it wasn't just you, it was you and Patrick, you, Patrick, and Alex. Like it was a team effort. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and we're just so much better for it. Yeah. So I mentioned the concerted effort you made with Ashley, talked about how you've grown um, and applied what you've learned about emotional intelligence. Um, it, it's a part of a pattern, both of those um, examples, or I shouldn't even say pattern, it's more just a part of your DNA that you work really hard at growing when you pay close attention to it. And again, I've, I've known that over the years. Um, tell us about a couple other things that you do presently. Like, what are you working on right now when it comes to your personal and professional growth? For me, I'm really, really conscious of my need to grow as a leader. You know, especially now that we get you know closer to 20 employees, um, you know, and and continue to to scale that up. Hopefully, uh, it's a different set of leadership. Where when you're smaller than that, sometimes it's, it's easier to to just kind of lead by just seeing them, talking to them, interacting with them. But as we grow, you know, I may not interact with everybody every single day. And, and, and in most cases I may interact with only a couple people uh, from our organization and you have to get the message out to everybody somehow. And that's one thing I've really been working on uh, lately is just trying to give everyone from somebody that's working in the warehouse to somebody that's in marketing or sales, a better idea of where we are looking to go as a company and where they can be the most helpful. And you really have to structure those conversations and you really have to rally you know, everyone together and have a meeting and a kickoff meeting and to really rally the troops, if you will. Um, you, you have to get buy-in. You have to get people that that believe in not just what you're doing, trying to accomplish, but also believe in the person that's delivering the message, which in a lot of cases is me. And, you know, to also lead, you know, we have investors, you know, how do I become a better leader for them? How do I provide them with updates that are more, more well thought out, um, where communication is, is better and that we're one of the top, you know, companies that they've invested in. And, and, you know, those are things that a lot of that really, I feel like that falls on me and I want it to fall on me and it's, but it's a constant learning experience. And I have, you know, I used to be horrible at taking any kind of criticism. Now I've learned that criticism is really your best friend. And I now know what my weaknesses are. I know what my weaknesses are that are deep in me that are, you know, the ones that I've struggled with my entire life. And then I know the ones that are more at the surface level and more tactical, like, you know, need to communicate better with a certain individual. So it's definitely constant for sure. Um, but 
I think as you make progress, it, it, it not only feels good, but it gives you something to build on where you can look at your past experience and say, um, or an experience that you've learned from somebody else and as to how they handled the situation. And that gives you just so much more guidance. So that's how I try and get my wisdom as a young, uh, young guy. It's, it's, I didn't have the benefit of going to the corporate world. So I didn't get the formal corporate training and we had to learn a lot of that on the fly. And, you know, I, I think we always, you know, pride ourselves on trying to kind of make sure that we are respected and that we respect others and, and, you know, that we're not just, you know, a bunch of young dudes, if you will. Um, but now, you know, we're a living, breathing company with so many components and, and, and that's yeah, a it's a great thing. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing all of that. And, um, we're going to wrap up here with, uh, closing appreciations, just like we do all of our sessions and can be on anything that comes to mind. Want to start? You want me to start? You can go ahead. Okay. I appreciate your consciousness. I mean, I kind of referred to it without using that word a number of times, but um, you have always been someone who's very aware, not just of yourself, but of the world around you, the people with whom you interact. And if I can say so boldly, you seem to always end up doing what I would call the right thing in the right way. And that's a special gift for someone as uh, I hate to say it, but as young as you are, right? Someone who doesn't maybe not have the same life experience as others. Um, and it's been there since the time I've known you. So yeah, I have a very deep appreciation for your consciousness. Thank you. You know, my appreciation goes back to the early days when we were involved in Junto and, and meeting you for the first time, Ramen, and, and introducing me to this world and being able to interact with other CEOs who, you know, at that time I was 24 years old, maybe. And it was great because I could, I could pick the brains of people that had been through a lot of the situations that either I was going through now at the time or situations I was going to see down the road. And I, I think even really with my personal life, um, you know, different challenges I've had, you know, whether it be, you know, family or, you know, wh whatever kind of life throws your way. I was kind of constantly reminded of, you know, here are all these individuals. No one's perfect. You know, everyone's kind of gone down a different path. But in, in when we would gather, you know, I, I I truly felt that the people there were happy and they were. And, you know, some might have had a better week than the other one, but we always picked each other up and Ramen, you being part of that group and really leading that group even though you were a part of it, just like we were, that really changed me, uh, as, as a person. And I, and was fortunate enough to do that for quite some time, you know, four or five years, uh, with the same people. And it's just amazing. Uh, what I, what I learned, I'm so thankful for that entire experience and it really has shaped me. So I appreciate that you brought that to me and, and, that group really helped me bring out a lot of the things that I did need to work on and, and, and things that I wasn't aware of that I needed to be. So thank you. Our next guest is Josh Chapman, a longtime Junto mentor and currently COO of Landscape Hub, a Chicago-based company. 
which has um, a fun Junto story behind it in that uh, the, the company's co-founder and CTO, Chad Cooper, who uh, will be on a future episode, uh, was connected in with Landscape Hub through another Junto mentor. Uh, and so there's this thread of relationships that has emerged um, with this company that's uh, just very fun for us um, at the Junto Institute. Josh is a uh, seasoned uh, operator. He's a seasoned general manager, COO, um, chief operations officer. And Josh has um, been one of those really unique individuals who's made a very successful transition from the corporate sector to the startup and innovation sector. Uh, He's worked for big companies like Xerox, and uh, today um, working with Landscape Hub, which I believe is the second startup that he's um, working with uh, in the C-suite. Uh, he has been just a terrific mentor for us at Junto, has demonstrated the ability to listen very intently, uh, ask uh, pertinent and clarifying and, and when necessary probing questions, and has also embraced uh, our focus on emotional intelligence. Uh, he's very effective at uh, delivering shared experiences. Um, he sees the power of doing that over giving advice. And uh, as you'll hear during our conversation, uh, he absolutely loves mentoring. Uh, so let's dive into the conversation that Josh and I had. Welcome, Josh. Uh, excited to have you here on Flourishing Together. Thanks, Robin. Can't wait to get started. So as you're familiar with, uh, the Emotion Wheel is uh, an icon uh, for us at Junto, and uh, we're going to start by hearing how you're feeling right now. Sure. So uh, it's interesting, as you know, and, and we recently talked about, I just started a new job. So switch companies to join Landscape Hub as their COO. So it's really interesting because I'm very much in the, when I look at the wheel, I would say I'm excited, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic because I'm in this new space. I love it. It's a great, great organization. Uh, but then at the same time, I can feel inadequate. I can feel frightened. I can feel anxious because I'm learning this new business. I don't know the industry uh, the way most of the team does. So uh, I'm really kind of jumping between those two parts of the wheel. And it's. I think it's natural because I'm so new in the role, but that's definitely if I looked at the last couple of weeks where I've been living on the wheel. I love it. Uh, here's this serial COO telling us how he's feeling inadequate, but that's true. Like, it's a common thing for us to feel that way when we're entering into a new role, no matter how much we've done it in the past. Well, let's see. Uh, I'm definitely feeling intrigued by this earlier conversation that we had. Um, I'm a little stunned about something. And, um, you know, feeling a little nostalgic because as I was preparing for this, I realized that uh, uh, we haven't had you mentoring this year on a mentor team. So I haven't been around you as a mentor. And uh, so I was feeling nostalgic about that earlier because I enjoy those interactions that we have. All right, we're going to go ahead and dive in. And typically I start with this question on one's first recollection of leadership because it kind of helps set the tone for a context uh, with respect to kind of where people you know, might be coming from, what might have influenced them. So would love to tee things up with uh, you answering that question. What's your first recollection of leadership? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I first uh, started giving this some thought, I was like thinking about my dad as our little league baseball coach, and he was a great leader. But I decided that 
I, I didn't associate that with leadership. Uh, I, I think more when I started my career is when I started really thinking about what leadership means. Uh, and I, I was thinking about a gentleman by the name of John Ansel, and he was the CEO and co-founder uh, of a company that I went to work for in 1998. It was called World Access, and it was a travel insurance company. And the reason I think of, of leadership was in, in we were undercapitalized, small, privately held company trying to compete with some very large players. Nobody knew what travel insurance was. And uh, John took all of us who were mid-level managers and above, which wasn't a huge group. Uh, and we spent two days um, in a basement of an embassy suites hotel in Richmond, Virginia. And I remember it vividly because John kind of got up on stage and said, here's how we're going to win. And it's this thing called e-commerce. And in early 1999, there were still a lot of us who didn't understand what e-commerce was or what that meant. And it was crazy to think that you could sell travel insurance over the internet. It was sold through travel agents on paper. And so John presented the vision and he got us mobilized behind it. And everything we did was designed to win online. And it worked. Uh, we ended up signing Orbitz right as Orbitz was being formed and they started selling travel insurance. They were the first uh, entity to sell it online. And then we got the airlines to come on board. And then we grew and we became the largest uh, market uh, leader when it came to online travel insurance, which ultimately led the company to get acquired by Allianz and it's grown a great deal. So when I think about John, it was having that vision and then executing against it. And yet I also, some of my fondest memories of John would be him coming by my office at seven o'clock at night when I was, and I was running operations for uh, Access America, which was our travel insurance brand. And he'd be asking me about my family, how things were going. Uh, he'd be sharing stories about his journey. Uh, so to me, those are all really important traits of a good leader. Now, it's funny because I recently reconnected with John. I would know, I, John wasn't perfect, and I don't want this to sound like he is because I, there were plenty of times where I was frustrated with him as our CEO, even right down to when I ended up leaving the company. But I think with time, I really learned to appreciate what he did and how hard certain decisions are when you are the CEO or COO. I've done both. But to me, John, the first real exposure to leadership was John putting out this vision, mobilizing this company to work towards that vision, making sure we were executing, but then also still having time to stop by my office and share his a little tidbit or asking how my family was doing. That that to me is is great leadership. So let's fast forward 20 years to today where you joined a, a startup and you're working with and for a new CEO. What is she like in the context of all the other CEOs you've worked with in your career? And and how is her presence and her ability, leadership abilities uh, affecting the company? Interesting. So yeah, Lisa is our, our CEO. And I will say that her and uh, our other co-founder, Chad, are really the reasons that I joined Landscape Hub. Um, I came to a realization that wherever I was going to work, I really had to enjoy and value the team I was working with. And it was my relationships with both of them that brought me there. And I think what makes uh, Lisa so unique to me is um, because she's a rock star. She truly is. I think she has the vision. She knows the industry. So she ran you know, one of the most successful nurseries in Illinois, uh, had this vision for a digital marketplace, which became Landscape Hub, has built it, um, gave up what would have been a very comfortable and easy role there to go and do this. And what I, what I think I appreciate so much is that she's out there building this, has the vision 
Um, but she has the respect of everybody on the team, everyone. And, and in the industry, when, when you see her interact with folks, they immediately have respect for her. They can see her, her passion and her expertise. You know, for me personally, what I like most about it is I know that she values my contributions, uh, which is really, I've come to learn most important for me as I think about where I want to be. So I know that, you know, she's the CEO, she's leading the, the organization, but she values my contributions and the rest of the teams. Doesn't matter who you are. Um, you know, she's going to respect everyone's perspective and, and ask them to share it. And I think that's really, really important. So for me, well, you're right. It's different now as a COO has been doing this for for 20 some years. It's different than a lot of my past experiences. But what I find most fulfilling about it is this having this visionary leader who really respects everyone and appreciates everyone that she's working with and makes sure they know that. Yeah. We sometimes shortchange the power of appreciation. And you know that it's part of our operating principles, if you will, at Hundo. But in the workplace, I'm not so sure that that is shared as frequently as I believe is necessary. I mean, to an extent, it's kind of a core human need, and it doesn't even appear on Maslow's hierarchy, I think. It might fall under the psychological needs, but I'm not so sure the word applies. Um, what's your experience with that whole idea of just being appreciated in the workplace? Yeah, you know, well, it's like I said, I, I, when I think about why I joined Landscape Hub, a big part of it was feeling, wanting to feel appreciated and being part of a team and working with the right people. And it's so far been very true, which is great. So my instincts were, were accurate. But uh, having worked in other environments um, recently where there wasn't that level of appreciation, it, it was just uh, almost more like you're expected to do the job, but not hearing how much you're appreciated, um, whether it's by peers or you know just the team in general, uh, it has an impact. And for me, after you know 25 years of being in leadership and working for big companies and startups, uh, I've come to realize this is the most important thing for me is I have to feel appreciated and feel like um, I, I need to also make sure I'm appreciating others, mm -hmm. but I have to really feel appreciated to feel fulfilled in my job. And uh, I can say that after being in environments that both have and have not uh, done that. So tell me what drives you personally and professionally? So personally, they're two actually it's funny i think of them as very two different things when i think about what drives me personally i feel like i have a responsibility to leave the world in a better place right and that sounds very high level and very you know uh but i translate that into starting with my own house my three daughters right i want to see them go further than i did wherever i get to wherever my wife and i get to professionally personally i i want to see my daughters get further than us whatever that means um, so it starts with giving them an environment where they can do that and being driven to to give them that environment um, and then going outward from there. So I recently uh, joined the board of a hospital, uh, La Robita Children's Hospital here in Chicago. Uh, a lot of people don't know about it. It's the only specialty children's hospital in uh, Illinois, actually, um, but it's much smaller than a lot of the other children's hospitals that are here. I chose to be involved there because I love their mission, uh, the population that they're serving. Uh, these are people who really need help. Uh, so that's another way that I feel like I'm, I'm personally driven to try and leave the world a better place than I found it when I came here. Professionally, I'm very much driven by wanting to succeed, but not individually. I think earlier in my career, I would have said I want to succeed individually. Now it's wanting to succeed as part of a team. It's building something amazing, not just to say that we built it, but because if you do it the right way, 
you're going to impact your all your stakeholders. And and I'm very passionate about this. Stakeholders are not just your shareholders, right? These are investors. These are your employees. These are is the community that you serve. If you're doing the things the right way and you're building a business the right way, you're going to improve the environment for all of those stakeholders in your business. So to me, I'm driven to to do that. I saw it at, at cars.com in particular. I remember uh, sitting in a conference room with the three co-founders of cars.com the day that it was announced the company was being sold for billions of dollars. Uh, and it wasn't even about the money as it was about what they built. Over a thousand people were working for cars.com, all of the lives that were touched by it. It was much more than just a transaction. Uh, and that's what drives me professionally. I want to be a part of that again. And, and I want to be one of the earlier employees on something like that. Whereas cars, I came in much later as a member of the senior management team. So one thing about you, Josh, that I've noted over the years is that you take mentoring pretty seriously. And I measure that by how present you've been at uh, the sessions that I've attended, by what your mentees have said about you, and also, if I dare say, the quality of what you share with them. What's your approach towards mentoring? What's your attitude towards it? And um, what experiences can you share having done it in so many different capacities over the years, not just with us at Junto, that can help others become better at it? Uh, Because I think, from my experience, mentoring is something that sometimes people just kind of take for granted and they think it's just telling war stories or giving advice, but there's so much more to it. So I'd love to hear kind of what how, what your approach is and attitude is towards mentoring that, other, that others can benefit from. So yeah, wow. Mentoring. I love mentoring. I, I do. I, I, I really, really enjoy it because I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have good mentors along the way. But I've also had bad mentors. Um, so I think first and foremost to me, and it's one of the reasons that when I first was introduced to Junto, what really resonated with me was a good mentor sharing experiences. Uh, uh, here's what I've gone through. Here's what I've seen other people go through. It's not telling somebody what to do um, because no two situations are exactly the same. And you're you're not helping someone if you just say, you should go do this. I feel very strongly it should be, here's what I've done in similar situations or what I've seen done so, so I think that's one part of being a good mentor. I think the other piece, though, is what's your motivation for doing it? Stop and really ask yourself uh, if you're if you're a mentor, um, because uh, you know we had um, one of my favorite people I've met through Junto is is John with Schlepp, and he in one of our sessions once uh, made the comment about charlatans and how many charlatans there are in the startup community, and he w- it, he said it, and it stuck with me however many years later it is because he's so right when he says that. And there are mentors out there who are those charlatans who are doing it because they're trying to figure out what's in it for me. How can I position myself to potentially profit or benefit if this company does well or this individual does well? And that's exactly the wrong reason to do it. So so to me, that's the most important thing about being a mentor is you're doing it because you want to give back. Maybe you want to learn something. I learned so much from mentoring about different industries, different businesses, different approaches that other people have taken. To me, that's the the real payback. Um, and also seeing people succeed because you do it for the right reason, because you want to see them succeed. And again, as, as I said, to start this, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have some good mentors who are willing to help me along the way. But I'm very passionate about you have to have that right motivation. So as you referenced a little earlier, you've spent a good amount of your career on the corporate side. And at least from my memory, maybe the last five to eight years, uh, more on the startup and kind of innovation economy side of things. 
So as you kind of reflect on all of that experience, your collective 25 years so far, how do you compare and contrast leadership in both of those contexts? And kind of in tandem with that is how is your own opinions and perception of leadership evolved? Sure. Being a leader in a corporate setting is is very, very different than in a startup setting because the, you have a lot more resources available to you. Uh, and, and it's much more that you're steering the ship where you're giving direction, you're, you're helping develop people, and you have a lot of time to be able to do that. Um, when you shift into a startup environment, you're doing things, you're rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty while you're also hopefully developing people and helping them grow. And uh, I think it's definitely more challenging to do that. But like for me personally, I, I found a whole new energy. I think if I'd stayed in the big company, you know, immediately before I moved to Chicago, I was working for Xerox. We were a $22 billion company. And I was running a division that had 2,200 employees, uh, three sites across the US. And I interacted with such a tiny sliver of those 2,200 people. It was completely unfulfilling for me. And if I had stayed in that path, I think I would have, I could have gone through the motions and kept doing it, but my enjoyment in, in work was would have been nil. Uh, going to more of the smaller environment, the startup uh, space where you can really make an impact and see it directly, uh, I've found that to be what really fulfills me. And I, look, there's a need for that on the corporate side and those good corporate leaders. And I think there are people whose personality is better suited for that. Uh, but for me, you know, being in that startup space where you're, you're doing work and you're hopefully being a leader at the same time, I find that to be, you know, the magic mix for me. And now looking forward, what are you hoping to accomplish in your career? It kind of goes back to what I said earlier uh, when we were talking about my experience at cars.com. So being in the, the room with, with the three core co-founders of cars.com the day that the announcement was made that the company's being sold for billions of dollars was amazing. Um, not because of the amount of money, but when you stepped back and thought about here were these three folks who at the time, it would have been about 16 years earlier, had started this. Um, there's now thousands of people employed around the country by this company. It's a name brand. It's, it's touched so many lives. That was awesome to see. And I think professionally, what I want to do is I want to be a part of that small core group that starts something that down the road, we can look at this and say, wow, look at how many people we've touched and how many lives we've impacted and what we've built as a company. Because I think we need more conscious companies that are doing things the right way and are built the right way. And to be a part of that, that's professionally what motivates me now and what I want to do before I call it quits. So expand on this phrase, the right way. What does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, it's the right way. I always tell people, and I, I, I sound really old, and I'm not that old. I really, I'm, I'm not that old. But you know, when I went to business school, I remember taking a class early on where where we were taught about the difference between a shareholder and a stakeholder. And a stakeholder meaning that is inclusive of your investors and shareholders, but also the community uh, and your employees. So the community just being your customers or, or who you serve. And I really feel like there's been a, a dramatic shift, especially I would say over the last 40 years to where, you know, it's all about shareholders and investors. And they're very, very important. I'm not wanting to discount the importance of them, but to build a company the right way is you're taking care of all your stakeholders and being, uh, you know, your customers, your employees, the community that you serve and your investors and shareholders. And I think there's more awareness around it. I think there's been a lot of conversation recently in the last few months about this this concept. But for me, it goes like I said, it goes back to business school where we talked about this. And and I 
really motivated to build a company the right way that's serving all the different stakeholders out there. So I want to go back to what you said earlier about being valued by your CEO, uh, Lisa, at Landscape Hub. Uh, Sounds like there's a stronger culture of appreciation at this place. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I think it's accurate. But what I think is so great about it is it's, I don't know that it's anything that's consciously been done. I think it's just naturally a part of Lisa's leadership and Chad's leadership too. I think the whole team. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, what it really resonated for me, Raman, was I walked in, I think it was like my third week and I was working on a project and, and doing something. And in both Chad and Lisa, I was reviewing it with them and giving them an update. And they both literally like thanked me for being there. They were like, we are, we really are glad you're here and, and appreciate, you know, that you being here. Uh, and it really, it flipped a switch for me that how important that is. And it's not, it's not evident in, in many cultures. Um, but that, that comment alone was enough to keep me going for the next six months. I mean, that, that it's like, you know, that the, the people you're working with appreciate you. Uh, for what you're doing, what you're contributing. And, and it was a great reminder for me of how important that is. And and it's definitely something that I felt was lacking for me, um, but I could never go without it. I, I It was a really, it was, it was an awakening for me or a reminder, I should say. I want to come back to Chad in a moment, but when was the last time you felt that way at work? I have to say it was probably, it had to go back at least four and a half years since I was at cars.com. Yeah. I, the last time I remember I, I, my, um, my boss at cars.com, Bob, he, he let you know that he appreciated you. And I, I really, if I step back now and think about it and that's, you know, two jobs since I was you know, the CEO at give forward. And I think my investors and my board appreciated me, but it wasn't, you know, that kind of a situation where you were going to hear that. And yeah, I, I, I would say that it's been at least four and a half years. I mean, that's a shame, right? That's a shame. And to think that we can go that long and then experience it. And, and you said it before I even prompted you, you said that can keep you, me going for the next six months. The fuel, the power that just that line can provide you is pretty extraordinary. Now back to Chad, it's not like he's new to you, right? Lisa's fairly new to you. You didn't know her before you met her just in the last few months, but you and Chad worked together. So talk a little bit about that, that you know, where you guys work together and what capacity and. Yeah. So when I joined Give Forward as CEO, Chad was the CTO. Uh, so I kind of um, inherited him as I joined the team. And, and I, I've always told people like he was my rock through the journey that was Give Forward. The two years we went, when I came in, we went through a pivot. We went through a couple of restructurings. We, we ultimately sold the company, but it was interesting because we worked very closely together and I felt like he was always that one person, I always thought of him more of like a co-founder. He was the one person I could lean on and bounce ideas off of that, um, you know, beyond anyone else. And it was interesting that, you know, again, when he first reached out and said, Hey, would you like to, you know, would you be open to having a cup of coffee and talking about landscape hub? I, I immediately jumped because of him and knowing him and knowing what it's like to work with him. And I, uh, had chatted with Lisa once briefly when she was first starting landscape hub, but, I had this belief that if Chad was happy there and working there, that that had to be the right kind of environment. And then after a few conversations with Lisa, I could see it was exactly what what I was looking for. All right. We're going to kind of continue this thread of appreciations as we wrap up. And on uh, this podcast, we've been closing every 
conversation with uh, appreciations as well. You want to start? Or you want me to start? You can go ahead and start. Most most of the time, people say, "No, I want to start." So uh, I appreciate that you, that you allowed me to, uh, but that's not my appreciation. You know what? I, I'm going to change mine. I appreciate the fact that you feel so good about where you are right now, and to think that it had been four and a half years since you had that feeling of being valued in this way, right? And the power that that has had on you as you've conveyed is pretty extraordinary. So I just appreciate that you're in this good place, healthy place, and it aligns with what you said you want to achieve, which is to be a part of this core team that could potentially have an impact on a lot of people for many years to come. Well, thank you. I My appreciation is actually uh, is twofold. So one, it's to you. Um, you know, Junto to me, uh, I've been involved now for a few years, but I don't know that I'd recognize some of these things. And it's interesting because I've served as a mentor and I've been around it. Um, but I don't know that I would recognize how happy I am, fulfilled I am, if it wasn't the exposure I've had to Junto and some of the concepts. So I'm so appreciative of you bringing me into the Junto community and allowing me to be a part of it. Um, and then I also want to, you know, just say an appreciation for, for Chad since he was involved with Junto before me uh, and Kane Grau, uh, because they were really the two who both said, you should come check out Junto. And uh, they're both still obviously heavily involved in the community, um, but both of them tapped me on the shoulder and said, you should come be a part of this. So I, I'm very appreciative that they did that because it has, uh, it has been wonderful to be a part of the community since then. And uh, yeah, it's been great. So one of the things that you have probably noticed if you've listened to more than one episode is appreciations are a fundamental part of Junto. We not only finish each of these interviews with an appreciation, but in the vast majority of our sessions, we do the same thing as we close uh, them with a round of appreciations. And this has been a part of our program since day one. It is something that I believe brings humanity to the forefront of our organization and um, our programs. And I also believe it is something that has uh, attracted people to uh, the Junto community as far as staying um, with it and appreciating the people who, who make it up. So I'd like to um, share some thoughts on you know, what we do with appreciations, how we do it, um, and why we do it. And some of this is going to be uh, based on my reflections and, and some, some history. And then I'm also uh, going to be referring to a blog post that uh, was written by my co-founder, uh, Catherine Jelinek, a few years ago. And the reason that is, is because we, we did appreciations for the first year or two uh, as part of our program. And then uh, Catherine kind of helped elevate the way in which we did them. And that has stuck with us. Uh, and she just had a natural uh, ability to do it. I think she um, did it much more uh, personally while growing up. Uh, I think it's a part of her upbringing. So she really put a, a unique stamp on that element of the Junto Institute. Um, and a few years ago, wrote this blog post that I have always found to be very effective at articulating uh, so much of um, how and why we do uh, appreciation. So I'll be referring to that as well. So we hold a variety of classes, uh, roundtable sessions, uh, forum sessions, and at the conclusion of each, uh, we typically um, have this round of appreciations. 
each person has an opportunity to uh, reflect and express an appreciation on anything that they want. So for instance, uh, you know, many times, as you may imagine, uh, there's an appreciation um, that they share about the conversation that was had or about a person who was in the room. Other times, it is about the weather, if it's good. Uh, other times, it's about a family member or a loved one. It might be about something that happened to them um, in the prior days. Um, the point being that it can be about anything that they choose. And what it does is it creates the opportunity, a very intentional opportunity for people to stop, reflect, and deliver an expression that helps connect them with everybody else in the room. You know, we've done well over 1,200 sessions over the years in Junto, so it's safe to say that we have probably had over 10,000 appreciations shared over the course of seven years. And we've noticed a few things as a result over the years that sharing appreciations actually does. Uh, and so now I'm going to borrow a little bit from Catherine's blog post and uh, just to set things up, and then I'll go into some more thoughts of my own. So the first thing is that an appreciation is more than simple uh, gratitude or, or a thank you. And the reason is, is that it's a, f uh, a result of a forced reflection and an expression of their awareness of something that is meaningful and powerful to them. And so it's not just thanking someone for what they may have said or done. And so in other words, it's not always about someone else, but it's rather about something that means something to us. Um, secondly is, and, and this to me is, is a really critical piece, is we have found that appreciations can significantly alter the energy in the room and in a very positive way. Uh, in fact, some of my most memorable uh, Junto sessions have been the heavier ones or the tougher ones. When someone has had an issue that they needed to uh, present in a forum uh, that was very uh, personal, very heavy, very deep, or there was a mentor meeting where uh, the company was dealing with some real significant challenges and the mentors to some degree may have felt helpless or uh, they were delivering some tough love. Uh, and as a result, by finishing with appreciations, within five minutes of the conclusion of a two-hour session, the energy just shifted. And, and the reason is, is because uh, what we effectively are doing is finding uh, a quote-unquote silver lining. Um, we're expressing our appreciation for something that we're noticing that is meaningful to us. And most of the time, it's a positive thing. And so even in the case of a hard conversation, sometimes in the appreciation might be that uh, we were talking about something hard, or uh, there's an appreciation for the struggle that someone is experiencing or uh, there's an appreciation for the growth that's going to come from the challenge or the obstacle that someone is um, facing at the time. And so as a result, um, sharing that appreciation at the conclusion of a session typically ends things on a, on a fairly positive note. And it's more noted, even um, in, especially for those sessions where the tenor or the temperature of the room, if you will, may not be as high as it as it 
could have been or 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 has been in the past. Uh, the other thing about appreciations is there's really no um, BSing. They tend to be extremely sincere and earnest, uh, very genuine uh, to the person, especially with people who've been in Junto for at least a year who have effectively practiced delivering appreciations. They become better and better at it. And as a result, they tend to find things that occurred in a session or in their lives that uh, resonate very deeply with other people in the room because there, there's been a lot of thought that's been given to it. And it comes from a very uh, deep personal place. And you can even sense through their nonverbals that it's something that's very important to them, very um, true to them. Finally, from, from this um, piece that Catherine wrote is, uh, and, I, and I love this line, which is one of her headings, is that appreciations create unity while celebrating uh, differences. And what she speaks to is the fact that appreciations bring people together, uh, that they allow us to, to feel bonded in our vulnerability and our humanity. Uh, they don't require that we all agree. And in fact, instead, appreciations actually create the space for us to be able to honor different perspectives or contradictions and uh, celebrate the differences that we just naturally have as unique uh, human beings. So um, we integrated appreciations years ago because we saw this as a way to bring humanity into business. And uh, as I shared, you know, during the uh, the pilot um, episodes of, of flourishing together, Junto is kind of this place that harmonizes business with the self, um, brings humanity into the workplace, and we saw appreciations being an important way to to almost demonstrate that to prove it. And what's been incredibly gratifying for for me and our team is that we've heard you know many stories of how people have taken this practice and brought it into their workplaces, uh, into their meetings, and in some cases, even into their homes, uh, where they're uh, more actively delivering appreciations uh, to, their, to their loved ones. And so let me share a little bit of how an effective or a sincere appreciation can be delivered. And uh, these are uh, uh, right out of Catherine's blog post, so uh, they can be found on our website. Um, if you just go to thehuntoinstitute.com, click on blog. Uh, there's a search box and you can type in appreciation and uh, you will get this blog post to pop up. But um, I'll summarize these here. Uh, number one is to ensure that everyone is present. And what we mean is not just physically, but also mentally and psychologically. Uh, so when we do appreciations in our sessions, people's phones are put away. They're no longer writing notes. Uh, one of the things Catherine, you know, refers to is um, if you're at home, is turning the TV off, making sure the cook is out of the kitchen, and so that way, all the attention and all the presence, each person's presence, is there collectively for the group. Number two is to define what an appreciation is. Uh, to explain that it is, as I mentioned earlier, more than just gratitude. It's uh, an opportunity to reflect on something that's important to you, something that you you felt emotionally that you'd like to share and that um, had an impact on you. Number three is to emphasize the simplicity. And so 
back to this idea that you know we don't have any rules for appreciations. Um, they can be uh, as simple as the weather, the fact that it's a sunny day, and the idea that there's no such thing as a right appreciation or a wrong appreciation. It's just something that's meaningful to us as an individual. Uh, number four is asking everyone to share. Uh, one of the protocols that we have in, in Junto is everyone speaks once before anyone speaks twice. And so the idea here is to give each person the opportunity to share uh, an appreciation. I'm going to go on a limb here, but um, I don't recall there ever being a time in over 1,200 sessions, over seven years, where someone has not had an appreciation. And so that's an important data point uh, because we don't require it, but we ask everyone to contribute and to share an appreciation and no one's ever passed or declined. So um, I think when given the space, when given the opportunity, people actually enjoy it. And uh, one of the things that we do, a shared experience, is uh, when there's a group of people who some of whom have experience with Junto and some who don't, we typically will ask the more experienced people to lead things off, uh, to create some comfort in the room, and also to kind of uh, lead by example. Number five on Catherine's list is uh, allowing for pauses, is to create the space for people to think, even the space for awkward pauses or silence, because typically what that is doing is giving people the ability to reflect and come up with something that is meaningful uh, for them. And then finally is uh, number six, which is simply to enjoy. Is if, if we're fully present, we've got the ability to soak up the moment of being around people who we uh, care about or with whom we're connected, and um, that there's you know, no need to follow a very specific structure or process um, in fact, one of the things that we always emphasize is there's no order to it. So we don't have to go around the table. We don't have to go around in a circle. It could be in any order um, just to give people the ability to enjoy each appreciation um, that they're listening, but then also to enjoy the appreciation that they're sharing. So as Catherine does in her post, um, I'm going to close here with one final appreciation and that is for what everybody has done over the years in Junto with sharing theirs. And in fact, I'm getting a little choked up reflecting on the idea that if we have had over 1,200 sessions in seven years and I don't remember one person passing, that's pretty extraordinary. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next episode. This episode was produced by Dante32.